When I first started my business, I decided, I didn't have any clients and I decided I'm gonna do something very unorthodox. I'm gonna ask everyone I know what they're missing from a designer. What What is not out there that you would like when working with a designer? And I decided to take all these comments and create a business that was not like any other designer I knew in Chicago at the time. So welcome to the AFT Construction Podcast and I'm your host, Brad Levitt. And we're super excited for our guest today, Lauren Coburn on episode 82 and Lauren is a designer in Chicago and she has an incredible firm award-winning they've done some amazing projects both commercial and residential early in her career she actually had the opportunity to work for the renowned Tigerman McCurry architecture firm and her story is fascinating because she spoke about in school you know that really she was trying to figure her way she was trying to find out what she was good at you know even her professors you know the feedback and candor she'd have with them and then here she is working for one of the top architects and how that catapulted her career and really when we are all starting our company you know where do we start how do we get business how do we attract the clientele we want and she spoke about her strategy what she did and how she's changed that the versatility all of us in business have to learn to evolve, have to learn what's working, what's not. And we go into depth about, you know, her initial process to what she's doing now and how that's changed. So again, you'll love this episode about building a business, building clientele, refining your systems. So without further ado, let's get into the episode. So welcome to the AFT Construction Podcast. And we're fortunate today to have Lauren Coburn with us with Lauren Coburn LLC. So welcome, Lauren. Thank you so much, Brad. I'm so excited and honored to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and you're joining us from the great city of Chicago. So yes. thank you for making time today. And thank you. Yeah, let's start here. So how do you uh, get your clients? You know, how for lead generation, where do you find them? Yeah, so I um, I was very fortunate that when I started on my own 16 years ago, I had worked for two form, firms prior to that. And when I started on my own, I really started with no clients. And I got my first client who referred me to the next client who referred me to the next client. And I was able to grow my referral base pretty quickly. Um, I would definitely say, and I think my colleagues would mostly agree with me too, the best the best clients are always referral because they generally are great people who come from great people you know who you want to work with. Um, I've you know I've had several publications, I've gotten calls from publications, but at the end of the day, mostly the the best clients really are referral. So. There's a lot of advantage to that. I, I, I've realized in my career, you know, the referrals, as you mentioned, there's a comfort, right? There's a right. understanding. There's, um, I don't want to say education, but there's a familiarity, right, with you and the client. And so as they refer you, right. the, you're a trusted resource. And what's interesting, I've seen how social media now is, I would say, an ally to that because before it was word of mouth. You, you, you rely on that, whereas now you could essentially build your personality on stories and on your page and feed where people feel they they can see your systems, they can see your protocol. Yeah. You know, in addition to that, we have other resources. As you mentioned, you've been nationally published, you've you know, been featured from award-winning designs. And so have you seen uh, that gravitate into lead generation as well? Um, I think that actually the publications, and again, I the other designers that I've talked to kind of agree with me. I think that publications um, are really best for when I'm you know, interviewing with a client and they wanna know where I've been, it helps to really show where you've been published. You know, People wanna see you've been published, they wanna see the credibility. For me, the publications are more helpful in that respect. Once I've already gone to an interview, that might be a referral from another client. I think, um, I know I have gotten good clients from, from you know, publications, but I think the beauty of referrals is that somebody you've worked with 
is telling somebody they know how nice the experience was. And I think in the state of PR, I mean, social media and Instagram, there's so many places that, like you said, like people can get their personality out there. They can see their, people can see their work, they can be heard. But what you don't know is what that person's like to work with, right? And so if you're brought to somebody who was referred by one of your other clients or a friend, they've obviously asked about the whole working experience. And I think that's really hard. I tell people it's very hard to find that combination when you're interviewing architects, builders, and designers. It's like finding the chemistry and somebody you really want to work with and someone whose work you like and someone who you feel is going to you know, give you what you want and not what they want and really understand what you're looking for. The relationship is so important. And, yeah. and I love that you brought up that point because so many people miss that. You know, a lot of our customer base, and I'm sure it's similar for you, look, mm -hmm. budget is super important. Price is super important. And there's some sticker yep. shock sometimes. And especially if they're looking at, at numbers and maybe bidding you out or looking, okay, Lauren, what's your fee for my house? And you're this, another designer's this. But what's hard for them is to say, okay, what does this look like in two years from now when the project, as we're working together, essentially married for two years and working through the project. And it's really hard for us to interview the client to know how they're going to be. It's hard for them to interview us and really yep. create that, that trust from the beginning without the referral. Mm -hmm. It makes it really difficult. It, it really is. And I'm finding that I think what people don't think about is, you know, they could interview two designers with, you know, two very different hourly rates. Now, one designer might take one hour to do something, whereas another more experienced designer who's more per hour could take less time to, you know, to do something. So the hourly thing is very hard. It's very hard for designers to figure out. It's very hard for clients to figure out because they don't know how efficient you're going to be. Um, and I think that especially in COVID days, I've found that people are really wanting fixed fee for that reason. They don't want the unpredictability of the hourly. They want to know now this is what the project's going to cost and it's not going to change. I love that you brought that up. There, There is a lot of value there being very clear as far as what our fees are, right? You have mm -hmm. to have fees to be in business and, you know, cover your overhead and everything, the services you provide as well as we do. And, you know, to convey that it's really important. So the customer has at least some feel of what the project's going to cost. And, and I've also noticed you know, sometimes we do ourselves a disservice. You know, I, the term transparency is always used and it's a tough one with customers because there's a difference between, you know, honest and integrity, but also transparency. You know, when I, mm -hmm. when I go purchase something at Costco, I don't know every, if I buy Samsung TV, I don't know every single piece that they're working with, right. you know, it, to, to put this TV together. And, sure. and I look at it for designers. I've worked with some designers that look, here's our, our fee for the house. We're going to build you in phases. We're going to, you know, at, at this phase, we're going to build this portion in this phase. And, and it's a good process. And I've seen where some designers are so transparent. You know, I spent an hour and a half looking for paint colors and here's this small fee for that. And then the client freaks out because they're like, this took you an hour and a half. Like I could do this in yeah. 30 minutes. I've been able And so sometimes you kind of give away, you know, the whole process, even though there's a lot of time that the client doesn't realize that you spend to pick a paint color. Right. Sure. Sure, or you're going to find fabrics and you're waiting for a half an hour for them to pull the fabrics and yeah. there's only one person there. And yeah, absolutely. I think And and you're trying to, you know, you know, make it work with all the other finishes and design and you're thinking mm -hmm. down the road. I mean, there's a lot lot to this. What's the sheen gonna look like? What's the lighting of the house? Sure. And everything's LED, so depending on the Kelvin we pick, it's gonna change how this right. looks. I mean, there's a lot of things that the customer doesn't look into. And you have to call ten times, many times to get one answer. I mean right. it's not like, you know, it's not like other professions where you just assume if I 
call and ask a question, I'm going to get an answer. It, it sometimes it takes a little, a little longer to get information in our industry. So, um, you know, that it can take time. Yeah. So how do you, do you ever have clients that come to you and say, Lauren, okay, your fee is going to be X and I don't expect you to tell anyone what your fee is on this conversation, but do they ever come to you and yeah. say, you know, I, I know so-and-so that's going to do it less and you're here. I mean, how do you navigate that conversation with the client? Well, I'll tell you when I, when I first started my business, I decided I didn't have any clients and I decided I'm going to do something very unorthodox. I'm going to ask everyone I know what they're missing from a designer. What, what is not out there that you would like when working with a designer. And I decided to take all these comments and create a business that was not like any other designer I knew in Chicago at the time. And they all thought I was nuts. And I decided to pass on my cost a hundred percent on everything I sold. I charged a high hourly to do that. I charged more for my time, but my clients love that because they could understand paying for my skills and my time. They couldn't understand why I'm making more money to sell a more expensive product. And they also liked that it took away the ulterior motives of pushing, you know, the $10,000 rug against the $2,000 rug so I could make a bigger markup. So that's how I really start my started my business. And I grew very big, busy, very quickly, because that was truly transparency. In 15 years ago, this design was total smoke and mirrors. I mean, it's more transparent now than it used to be, but it used to not be. And so I really did take the smoke and mirrors out. I mean, I took my clients to the Mart. I showed them how to decipher the code on the, on the tag. I they absolutely knew what my cost was. I couldn't have been more transparent. Um, and that was really how I grew my reputation over the years is being honest and being and being transparent. But, you know, there's always people focus, I think, what they're spending, what they're spending and not what they're saving. Right. So I think my clients loved working in that way because they knew they were getting a great value. They were saving by 40 percent at the merchandise mart on any custom furniture they were buying. They could easily pay off my fees with that. Um, but of course, you know, people focus on what they're spending and then. You know, if you're passing on your costs, they're looking at hourly. And if you're charging a markup, they're looking at the markup. And I think it's very hard. I think that's been really the hardest part for me of this business is figuring out how people want to be billed and how to how to build people in a way that makes for a nice relationship. It's very hard. Yeah, it is. And I, I really want to dive into this because this really sparks my curiosity because I'm pretty yeah. familiar how designers operate. You know, I work with designers mm -hmm. on every project. That's what we do. And, you know, I've been very adamant about that from our business. Uh, but from your side, you know, let's talk about the pros. So by you taking this direction saying, I'm going to charge a higher hourly fee, right? Cause there yep. has to be costs involved as you're traveling and going to the Mart and you're resourcing yep. and designing a furniture plan. I mean, we all know what goes into this. Uh, do, do you feel it gave you a competitive advantage as far as finalizing that pre construction contract with the client that they're going to award you because you were set up this way? For sure. And I, you know, being in business 16 years, I grew my business very quickly because of that. I think it was oh, definitely <laughs> that, that edge that, and when everyone told me I was crazy and nuts and mm -hmm. other designers thought like, you can't do this. You're not going to stay in business. This is crazy because designers really do make more on a markup than many times than on time if they're, you know, billing fairly for time. Um, and I, it was hard because I was getting constant backlash about doing this this way. Um, we're now in a world and that was that was back in the day it was a great value because people were generally doing full homes through the merchandise mart and the high-end showrooms here where everything was custom and they were saving 40 percent, getting my cost 
So they were happy to pay more in fees. The world's different now. I think so many people are, are designing high-low now that I'm getting so many clients that are a higher-end client who want to put a lot into renovation, a lot into building homes. They don't want to spend that much on furniture. Like Furniture is kind of disposable to them. They don't know where they're going to be in a year, especially after COVID times. Um, and they do want to go a little like more retail on the furniture, but with like nicer built-ins or nicer light fixtures or kind of those special touches that they spend more on. But a lot of them want to go to retail stores and, and do it faster. And it's sad because I think, you know, the quality isn't there um, like it is with, you know, the higher end custom pieces and when you're able to design pieces. Um, but with with that shift to retail, that model didn't work as well anymore. So really now what works better for me is a little bit of a lower hourly with a small markup on product to order to order the product and handle it. It's essentially a handling fee just so I because I'm handling it. I'm dealing with issues. I'm dealing with breakage. Um, our quality control has gotten really, really bad in our business. And so my assistant and I are are solving issues all day long, broken furniture, things not created. There's just a lot of that. And so it's really hard now to, to not charge some kind of markup or handling fee to, you know, to handle those things. Um, but that's been the shift, I think, is that people, you know, I, I can't get the discounts at retail stores that I can through custom sources. And so my billing rate kind of has to, and my billing system kind of had to change too. And I'm working with flat fees now too. I'm trying to just respond to, you know, what people are asking for, but it's very hard. Yeah, I mean, you have to shift your business. I mean, as the, mm -hmm. you know, as as technology changes, information, Amazon's huge, right? People can look anything up. I mean, yep. th there's ways that, that dictate our market. But, mm -hmm. I, I, you know, from just my opinion, you know, listening in to what you're telling us, the challenge I see, you know, I see the advantage where you're like, okay, I'm, I'm young in my career. I'm going to build this and it's really going to exponentially grow my company, which it did. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you're having to deal, as you alluded to, you know, there's product issues, there's warranty issues, there's damage, you know, the care and shipping, uh, mm -hmm. you know, that handling. See, a lot of customers look at this and say, okay, Lauren, you know, you're making money off my furniture, but they don't realize all the time to order it, you know, make track mm -hmm. the shipping, storing it, storage right. fees, getting it delivered, getting it installed. And then if there's an issue, if there's a scratch, a ding, sending it back, getting a new one, a light fixture is missing pieces, there's right. cost involved. Things have to be reboxed, reshipped back. You have exactly. to contact, move it. And, and, I can only imagine like the stress it would put on you because there's no markup. Yeah. So now you're not working for free, exactly. but even though your fees higher, but it's really creating a challenge. I can imagine from that side. Yes. And I don't charge to fix problems for my clients. Like I want to make sure they're happy and they get a perfect product at the end of the day. And so, you know, that, that became very hard for me to do it that way. And I think it also didn't benefit the clients because now they want to be able to kind of shop everywhere. Um, and I can't get 40% off at retail stores only at the BART. So right. or through, you know, custom sources. So, yeah. Well, that's interesting how the, how the company's yeah. pivoted. So, so now with your new, I would say, uh, you know, your business development plan, do you find it a little bit less stressful on a day to day that now, okay, we've, we've grasped what our set fee is. There's a little markup here where it needs to be. And has that made it a little bit more efficient for you? Yes, definitely. And I, you know, I was really afraid of the whole fixed fee concept, but I'm really kind of a fan of it now. I think it's really hard to figure out sometimes like with decorating. It's very hard because we don't know where we're shopping, what we're buying. Are we designing furniture? Are we running to Crate and Barrel and 
picking one of three fabrics and ordering it was we don't really know the time involved by just meeting somebody and talking to them. And many times people don't give you, you know, a budget number. Um, they don't necessarily know a budget number. So um, I think that, that, you know, that has def the fixed fee has been really good. I think in terms of client relationships, because I think, you know, you get it out of the way, like this is what it's going to cost and we can relax and you're not worried about getting an hourly bill at the end of the month and how many hours it must be. I'm not worried about having to bill you because it's never fun doing billing. Um, you kind of get that out of the way. And I really like when I can figure out a flat fee for a project. It's much easier on like renovation to figure out a flat fee um, than on decorating. So I, when I can do it, I, I think it makes for a really nice relationship. So do you, uh, do you find that with your database that you've had, as you've done so many projects over the years, furnishings and interiors, do you have a database where if I'm a client and I'm Brad, I'm coming to you saying, Lauren, I want you to do my 5,000 square foot house. Do you, would you give me a ballpark to say based on your aesthetic and style, you're probably going to spend X dollars a square foot on furniture, right? You need this much yep. for furniture budget. You're going to need this much for, you know, design. Yep. Yeah. So I, I, um, I'm work building three homes ground up right now with architects and builders. And I am working in that model. I'm, I figured out, you know, a flat fee for the whole project to be there from the beginning straight through and building the home, being a part of all of it. And then I'm, you know, that flat fee is in including the furniture and decorating the whole house. Um, but then I'm doing my 20% handling fee to order furniture. So we don't know what the furniture is gonna cost, but I at least know I'll be given the handling fee to cover anything that goes on. And then I have this negotiated flat fee um, that everybody thinks is very fair and, and it's nice. It got it out in the open and no one has to worry now about where my fees are going to go, you know? So it's, it's, I really like working that way when I can. And I'd imagine it's a little bit easier relief on accounting too, because, you know, being that straightforward where it's a set number, here's yeah. the accounting, you know, it's a little more streamlined, you know, from that angle. Well, I still, I still keep a very detailed record of my time, what I did, because I do like to look back and, and see, you know, and do the research and see how many hours did a project of this size take. So I have that research because I haven't been doing flat fees for that long. I'm probably only a year and a half. Um, so that I do end up still doing the detailed work, but it does make accounting easier for sure. Yeah. I love that you audit it because that's something that we've spent a lot of time. I spent a lot of time with my controller and she's been very adamant, which I do appreciate. So even though most of my staff is salary, right? We're a different mm -hmm. business, but similar. You know, all my team, mm -hmm. their salary, they're working, they're billing, no matter how many hours they're working, they're billing, let's just say on a 40 hour week. But what yep. they're doing is they're assigning time to each job. And the reason we do time cards and we're so adamant about time cards and, and really managing that is so that she can at the end of the project say, this home that's a hillside, you know, modern mm -hmm. home, this side, it's yep. a traditional home. This one is transitional, right? Modern yep. farmhouse, yep. whatever it is we really have a good feel now when a customer comes to me, I know how many hours it's going to take the supervision. If it's a hillside flat lot, you know, what's our cost? Cause I really yep. need to understand what's my cost to manage this. Yeah. And it's hard too, because I never like to push clients into doing or buying anything. Like I don't want a client to move forward with something unless they feel great about it. So what's hard with the flat fee is just guessing in the beginning, you know, is someone going to want to see, a hundred sofas or somebody going to want to see one sofa, sofa that they love. And the one that sees a hundred, they usually go back to the first one. they love. So I think that the unpredictable part of a flat fee is how long will the client take to be comfortable moving forward? 
Um, I know how long it's going to take me. I know I can work efficiently, but I don't know that missing piece. And that's what I don't have a crystal ball, you know, to figure out. Yeah. So this is my magic question for you, because I'm curious how you vet the client, because I, what's really tough from your perspective as a designer is you meet a client and how do you know, as you mentioned, the crystal ball, how many changes are they going to make? Do I have to show them three faucets? Do I have to show them 23? Right. And as you mentioned, the furniture. So how do you gauge or vet the client to know how much time they're going to utilize from you or exhaust you, whatever it may be, depending on their ability to make decisions? Well, I think, you know, with building homes, I'm taking that gamble, right? Like I'm, I'm going off of what I know, I I think I know in my instincts and, you know, what I think it's going to be, but it it certainly is a gamble because it's an open-ended scope. It's like, this is the scope, but I don't know how long this is going to take. With my renovation or my smaller projects, many times I will cap the hours or I'll say, this is for, you know, three versions or this is, you know, for three, three different presentations, or I will kind of you know, create parameters for a smaller project. This episode is brought to you by Sub-Zero Wolf & Cove. For over 75 years, Sub-Zero Wolf & Cove has specialized in refrigeration, cooking, and dishwashing that can be found in some of the world's most luxurious homes. At AFT Construction, we look forward to crafting our client's dream kitchen when building the home of their dreams. To get this process started, we locate the nearest showroom and set up an appointment. It's that easy. Since Sub-Zero Wolf & Cove specializes in three major categories, we can make all of our kitchen selections in one stop. The first one is that Sub-Zero handles refrigeration. They are the preservation specialist. Key features included fresher, longer dual refrigeration, advanced air purification, precise temperature control, customized modular design. This ensures tastier, healthier food and eliminates waste so that the food stays fresher longer. Second is that Wolf is the cooking specialist. Key features include precise heat control, predictable, consistent temperature, intuitive controls and easy to use technology. Everything is designed with you in mind. These features enhance flavors of food, ensure consistency, and eliminates guesswork. Delicious results every time. And last but not least is Cove, the cleaning specialist. Key features include precise water flow, superior drying conditions, fully adjustable interior for every need, and so quiet it never interrupts. Not only are all products functional and reliable, they look great, truly built to last. To schedule an appointment at your nearest Sub-Zero Wolf & Cove showroom, visit subzero-wolf.com backslash showroom or click the link in our show notes below. Yeah. So when you look at the referral side, do you, do these just come in? Do you, are you adamant that when you work with the client, do you ask them at the end of the project for referrals? You know, how often are you picking their brain or asking them to send clients your way? So I never do. I'm very bad at that. I'm very bad at asking my clients for referrals and I'm very bad at asking them for quotes and testimonials and asking them if I can come in and photograph their home. (laughs) That's just all very hard. It's hard for me to ask people to intrude. Um, That being said, every brilliant business advisor I've ever spoken with, that's the key. You're supposed to ask every client for, so I really, I am making an effort to try to you know, mention that to my clients that if, you know, if you have any, know anyone as wonderful as you looking, you know, for a designer, I'd love it if you put in a good word. And, you know, the funny thing is I, I think so many of my clients are happy to do it. And I just assume they're going to think of me and, and refer me, but sometimes they may not. Like I've, I've contacted, contacted old clients I haven't talked to in five years. And I thought, well, they would have called me back if they had another project and wanted to do something. But then when I call them, it's like, oh, I've been meaning to call you. It's been so long. Let's do this now. You know, 
so I think people don't necessarily think about it. I think that they, you know, sometimes need like a little reminder, like, you know, I'd really appreciate it if you thought of me, you know? Yeah. It's interesting so, because sometimes, yeah. you know, the mentality of the client, they may think, oh, Lauren's busy now. Her business is more successful. She's yeah. published. I mean, you know, even though you're providing the same service, there's, you know, maybe a fear of reaching out because they just think that you forgot about them. Right. Yes. And so I'm, I am trying to work on reconnecting more, um, and really asking my clients to think of me more and asking for testimonials, which is hard, <laughs> but they're usually more than happy to do it. It's just, you know, it's, it's always hard for me to ask. So, yeah, I think yeah. the same thing. It's hard for me to ask too. And I've tried to make a goal of that I, I, I do see the value because as you have reviews, whether it be on Google or, you know, other locations can really help the company. Cause as people are researching you and if they're referral, yeah. They want to know about you and they want to know what other people's experience was working with you. And, you know, it's really important, especially in the vetting process. I know when we're interviewing clients, one of the things that most of us, you know, we're, we're pursuing the project. We want to win it. We're going to put our best face forward. Right. Mm -hmm. So they're interviewing us, but I think a lot of builders and designers and architects fail to interview the client because there could be some Absolutely. red flags the client may have. And, so are there any questions that you ask the client in that interview? Cause I know they're coming out to interview you, but do you reverse that at all to make sure that it's a good fit for you? Well, I'm really careful. You know, again, I think I, I'm always very cognizant of the fact that many clients hire designers and the designer doesn't give the client what they want. The designer gives the client what the designer wants and what they want to see in a, in a picture in a magazine. And they lose sight, they don't listen to the client, they don't listen to really how the client wants to live and what the client wants. And I really try to pay extraordinary attention to those details and really what my clients are explaining to me, even when they think they have no idea what they want, talking to them about the way they live, talking about to them about the way they want to live. Um, and, and the big thing too is really like having them show me imagery. I always ask before a consultation, you know, please pull pictures of rooms you love aspects you love of a room it doesn't have to be the whole room stuff that we can look at and i can look at that and even though i design in many different styles and my my design aesthetics are very versatile i can look at their imagery and think yeah this is exciting me i can i can go there or maybe i'm not the best person you know for the for the project um so you know i think that that seeing seeing what they love aesthetically i think really helps me and then talking to them about really how they want to live and how their families want to live. Um, and I think like now, and what I've, what I've really noticed that was kind of a light bulb moment for me is for years, I feel like hiring a designer and, you know, I, I, I always say like, I'm on a mission to make people love their space. I want people to love their space. And for so many years, hiring a designer was about making your home pretty and making your home look good. After COVID times, hiring a designer now is about, it's an emotional connection to your home. It's an emotional connection to your family. It's, it's creating the, you know, the, the vibe of connecting with your families, reconnecting with your families, disconnecting with your families, everybody working in the same house and getting along. I mean, you know, we've really, people have really formed this very emotional connection to their home. And now it's become even more so about efficiency and about, you know, the home really working for them and their family. Um, one house I'm building right now in particular, the clients are very, very particular about only building a house that houses everything they need. 
They're not doing extra space. They're not doing extra rooms. They're not doing rooms for hobbies they don't have. They are truly really thinking about every inch of the space and how their family is going to use the house. And it's, you know, it's not your stereotypical home. I mean, we're doing things that are not normally seen, you know, necessarily that are kind of out of the box ideas. I'm working with really extraordinary architects who have great imaginations. And, you know, we're thinking outside the box to make sure we're creating a house that they are going to use every room of on a daily basis. And that house is going to be very efficient and that their families can have the right experiences together and enjoy spending time together and enjoy disconnecting and, and, and that that house is really going to work specifically uniquely for them. I love that you shared that because, you know, a, a lot of the rhetoric I'll say, or at least some of the perception, you know, in our community is people will say, Hey, Brad, you're pushing designers. So the designer's going to drive up the cost of my house, right? Cause they want it. They, they, yeah. they want to put their imprint on it, you know, and, and style. And, and I've seen that most designers are similar to you, Lauren, that they're, they're not looking for an ego boost. They want to do what's right for the client based on their living yeah. and style. And, and what, and what we've tried to help educate the public is to see, look, when you hire a designer, it doesn't just increase the price. You have to understand the designer spent many years resourcing and working with vendors and they have a lot of options that I probably don't have, or you will not have as a client because they've worked with these vendors. They know 20 tile manufacturers and suppliers that they can work with. Right. So that gives you more flexibility, more versatility. And then what the, the point you made that's super important is I've seen now, especially with what we're doing in the last year of COVID has changed everything. So a lot of people that had their home, they came, you know, they slept, but they're traveling, they're at their office, right. you know, so many different things. Well, now you're stuck at home, you know, per se, you're locked in. And how does that inspire you? How do you feel? Are you connected to your home? Are you, you know, when you have to do Zoom calls all day in your office, does your office look nice? Does it inspire <laughs> you to get work done? Is the lighting yeah. good, right? Does, does it give me yeah. energy? And you think about resale. I mean, having a designer, you already know that the resale is going to be better. Your ROI is going to yeah. be better because it's going to look right. So I'm sure this is something that you've seen really revolutionize and change in the last year. Yeah, well, I, you know, I think the the reason why I'm always so pro team, pro collaboration is that nobody can do everything, right? And so when I look at, at projects I've done where I have done everything myself, they're nowhere near as extraordinary as the projects where I've collaborated with other professionals. I mean, I will never pretend to be an architect. I will never pretend to be a builder. I will never pretend to be a contractor. Like I need those professionals to collaborate with me. I think one void that I tend to fill in all my projects when I'm working with other types of professionals is really figuring out what the client wants. My instincts are very strong to really figuring out what the client wants aesthetically, what they want logistically, what's going to work for them. And I can usually help the team with us getting there, like where the rest of the team is like, I don't know what they want. I can usually really figure out like, what they want. And so I'm kind of the one that that has really good instincts and can kind of help the team get to a place of like, this is our vision. This is what they want. This is what's going to work for them. Um, but I think it's everybody does what they do best. And no project, you know, where somebody pretends to do everything is as good as as a great collaboration, you know. You know, I can honestly say from our track record, every project as a collaboration where the designer builder uh, architect and landscape architect, you know, we'll put in the, those four yeah. are involved. They are, I don't want to say seamless, but they're very successful projects. And the ones where they're not collaborative or uh, one of those are missing or comes in late are, are always a challenge, you know, from day one yeah. to the very end. 
Well, they're on a different level, right? Like I feel like when you use a team, it just brings your home to a different level because you have all these great minds doing what they do best coming together, you know, and I, and, you know, I do think it's, it's a trend too, that people are wanting to handpick now their designer, handpick their architect, handpick their builder. They're not necessarily using builders with their own designers anymore. Like they're, they want to, you know, handpick everybody and really find the people that they have chemistry with and bring those people together or maybe use a builder who's used to working with a, de a designer who, but, but hiring people with their own companies that they can really handpick and kind of bring together, you know, who, who understand them and who they have chemistry with. Now we're super excited. Welcome one of our new sponsors to the podcast, Pella windows. And this is even more exciting because we use Pella in so many of our projects, nearly all of them. And they've been just an incredible partner of ours. And locally, Sammy and Adam, they are not only amazing business partners behind us, but they are super close friends. And I speak on the podcast all the time about the importance of relationships, right? Relationships with our customers, with our vendors, with our suppliers, because at the end of the day, I'm only as good as those that help our brand and assist us in our projects to, to take it from the ground up all the way to completion. And if we didn't have partners such as Pella, there's no way we'd be who we are today. Over the years, we've built this amazing relationship. When we call them or email them, they respond. They're quick. Their, their company culture, their integrity, their honesty. You know, they are always there to do what's right for us and the customer. They can do anything from small replacement projects to large custom homes and even multi-million dollar commercial projects. And also, when you think about their product line, they can do ultra contemporary, historical preservation, and large traditional projects. So for anyone, any scale, any size, they're the ones to call. They're here local. You know, they have an amazing Instagram. Make sure and give them a follow to see what they're doing. So if you need windows and doors, give Sammy and Adam a call. We stand behind Pella. We love what they do, their culture, their brand, and especially their quality. And if you want to learn more about Pella Windows, check our show notes. We'll have everything tagged there so you can give them a follow and have their contact information to reach out. And now let's get back into the episode. So one of the challenges that both you and I deal with is how do we manage expectations for the beginning? When we're sitting out with the client and we're explaining the build process or the design process, how do you manage that conversation or set the expectation with the client your process and what it'll take from beginning to end? Well, the first thing I tell them is problems will happen. <laughs> Things <laughs> will have issues. Um, th this is not going to go, you know, where there's not going to be any issues. I mean, no matter what, no matter, you know, my paperwork can be flawless. My, you know, I can, I, I can call somebody five times and tell them something and put it all in writing. It, things will happen but I'm going to stand behind it and I'm going to take care of it. And I tell my clients too the same thing with contractors. Like it's really hard now to find contractors that will show up and fix problems, you know, or like will show up after they're paid. Um, it's hard. So, I mean, I tell clients, look like no one's perfect, but if we have a contractor that has integrity, that's going to stand behind what they do and come back and fix it. That's kind of all you can ask for, you know? Like no one's perfect and things are going to happen, but it's the people who, you know, who's going to show up and, and make it right. It's interesting. Cause you think about the expectation side, I was having a conversation today. Uh, we were doing some, uh, some work for builder trend. That's the software we use. <laughs> and there's a builder in Austin, Matt Reisinger. And we had a conversation today with builder trend and it was interesting. He brought up and this, this has to do with expectations and what you mentioned in the very beginning, talking about interpretation of what your fees involve and all that. And he had mm -hmm. talked about experience he had where, you know, it, it was the last time in his company, cause he's, he's changed his protocol that he will only do a project 
if the client comes to him and there's a team involved, collaboration. Uh -huh. You know, he's not gonna let the designer and architect design something and then send it out for bid for four builders and he's one of those four bids. Cause he That's knows awesome. it's just not gonna work. <laughs> yeah, it's, well, it's great to build yourself to that reputation, yeah. but but he's educated his client base in Austin that that is the best way, which it is. We all know that, it's just helping the client see that. And he yeah. said, it was funny because uh, he, he was working on a project, this is 10 years ago in the recession and they had, there were three bids, three projects bidding, and he didn't know that, but there were three. And it was from a designer such as yourself that's mm -hmm. very exact, very precise. They had the design book, they had all the finishes. I mean, there was no guess. They knew the tile, mm -hmm. the cabinetry, the lighting, everything. The architect was the same, super precise, you know, 100 pages of detail plans. So they bid it. And of course, builder A is a million, he's 1.1, and then the other bill is 1.3, right? They're, right, they're right. a little bit apart. Yeah. And so he ends up winning the job and he asked the client, he said, well, why did you pick me? And he said, well, I threw out the lowest, the highest, you in the middle, I took you. And he's like, he's like, that's interesting. <laughs> and then, and then as they're discussing further, he says, you know, the, the, as they're going through the bid, he was kind of looking at the higher bid. And the only difference was that he had bid more of a, not production style, but more of a, um, a built in place cabinetry for all the house. Whereas the higher bid yes. had done a furniture bid, right? Yep. Furniture, yep. custom. Yep cabinetry and then yep. there was one other there was only two bids that were different it was the cabinetry line and then it was uh something that had to do with the concrete sub and he's like that's amazing that all it was even though we had specs there was just a differentiation and interpretation of what kind of cabinetry and concrete right see it's and not apples are, to apples You're it's not, not apples even with all price, that detail and, right? and the customers it's it's i look at it for me when i get three concrete bits and i've been doing this forever it's hard for me to decipher these three prices aren't the same. Well, who's excluding what? What did they miss? Right. What don't they have? And that's the, the, the toughest thing that you and I have. Right. So like, and you take, you know, the contractor who's outsourcing all his subs and has to kind of guess at what those prices are going to be from companies that, you know, people who don't work for him directly. And then you take the contractor who has all his own guys, like somebody I use a lot, and he knows precisely what those guys are going to, char to charge, what the timeline's going to be, because they all work for him. And so you take the other contractor, it's a guess. I mean, those are guesses, right? Whereas this other contractor is much more accurate, but might look a little higher. So it's like, and you're right, like one contractor might be putting in a much higher level of cabinetry. One, you know, might have, uh, you know, extra expenses in there when the other one doesn't. I mean, it's very hard, I think, to get apples to apples bids. And same thing with designers. I mean, I think it's, it's so all over the place in terms of, you know, what people include in bids, how they try to sell themselves, what they show, what they don't show. Um, I think it's really hard because, you know, if there was just more of a like standard way that everybody, you know, charged on the same level and people could really choose the designers they wanted to work with, I think that the world would be much better. Um, but, you know, some designers are better at selling themselves and some are not as good at selling themselves and some are great at making them sound less expensive and they might be more, right? <laughs> so, I mean, that's kind of like the catch-22 with all this um, that I think is hard. So it's interesting, you know, looking back at your career, Lauren, I mean, you had some amazing experience. So, you know, you worked for Tigerman McCurry early on. So mm -hmm. how did that yeah. relationship come to be for you to get this amazing experience with a very respected firm you know, that's really helped catapult your career? So I, uh, I went to school at the Art Institute of Chicago. I was the worst one in my class. Um, <laughs> I, was the, I was the one that would come into every critique and get a horrible critique. 
And I was always like dressed well and I was always presenting well, but my drawings were horrible because back then we didn't, <laughs> we didn't learn AutoCAD. It was all like hand drafting and I was terrible at it. And all my classmates would come in with these beautifully drafted drawings and they would get praise and every critique and I would go home and cry. And it was like really hard experience for me getting through college. Um, my very last critique at the Art Institute uh, was with two very legendary women in our industry, Holly Hunt and Judy Niedermeyer. And they came in as, as visiting critics. They were like the first visiting critics. I had always had teachers and academic teachers. Um, and they came in and it was our first high-end residential project that I had in four years. That was our last you know, semester project. And it was a super high rise, no, <laughs> no budget, money was no object, high-end condo in Chicago in a building that hadn't been built yet and is now very high profile. Um, and I went to the Mart and I researched Art Deco designers, <laughs> like antique furniture. And I mean, I came in with this probably $20 million condo, you know, that I, but at the end, they both came up to me and they said, you know, you need to be in residential. Like you, you should not be in anything but residential. Like this is your niche. And that just made me so happy that two such high profile, amazing, talented, incredible women, you know, could see something in me because nobody ever had. And so um, I sent my resume out to lots of architects and designers. I knew I very much wanted to be a designer, but I really wanted to work under architects um, and develop a good architectural eye. Um, and I went to Cranbrook for school growing up in Michigan. And so I was greatly influenced by designers and architects, Eros Saarinen, and, and my mom was an artist, and I my dad loved building homes, even though he was an ophthalmologist and race car driver. So I was just always influenced by architecture, and I really, it was my dream to work for a really talented architect and learn how to be a designer, but be part of the whole process. And so I sent my resume out. Stanley and Margaret were my my idols. I studied them my whole life. I watched, I, you know, I'd read about them in Architectural Digest every month growing up and they called me in and I came in and they said, your, your portfolio is the worst portfolio we've ever seen come out of the Art <laughs> Institute, but we really like you and we think your our clients will like you and identify with you. And so I was thrown in the fire. There was one part-time designer who I could ask questions to when she was there and I got thrown in the fire and I was working on, I mean, money was no object high end that doesn't even exist anymore, um, projects that you know, was full projects beginning to end. And I had to fake my way through it and figure it out as I went along. And there were no other designers there full time to train me. I mean, I just kind of got thrown in the fire and had to figure it out. And it was my dream job. Um, but that's kind of how, you know, I was very fortunate to get that kind of dream experience, you know, very young at 21. I was really in front of clients working on very high end budgets. Uh, where clients would say, you know, we've hired these world famous architects, do whatever you want, like just make it amazing and tell us, you know, what 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 the best thing is you can do. And and it's just the time. I mean, times aren't like that anymore. I think everybody has a budget now. But, but um, back in the day, yeah, it was it was truly like a dream experience. I was very yeah, fortunate to have that. That's amazing. I think we need those yeah. clients back with no budget. <laughs> right? I know. Tell me know when you find them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Send them our way. But, you know, so right. I guess, you know, being in college, you know, it, it sounds like, you know, growing up, you had an affinity for design and architecture. I mean, you, you, it, it spoke to you, felt that you're talented. I'm always curious on how people 
you know, ended up going down that path, you know, in their career. But what made you pursue the architecture side? You know, that's very rare for a designer to say, I want to go work for an architect. So what clicked or what was it that motivated you? I think just, um, you know, growing up in a family, my brother's in development. My dad was, you know, again, an ophthalmologist and race car driver on the side, but he just loved architecture. And so he loved always being a part of building our homes and, and really getting involved in that. My mom always loved architecture too. She's an artist, but she just loves architecture too. She was always reading architecture magazines. Um, so I would read them and I just have, there's always been something about the full process of not just doing an interior, but making the interior and the exterior come together as one and creating that continuity that just intrigues me. That has always intrigued me. Um, and I didn't think I really had it in me to become an architect. Um, it didn't seem like I would, you know, do as well as an architect as an architect, but, um, I, you know, I thought about being an artist, but I could see it's hard. I mean, being an artist was really challenging. And I, I used to invite my friends over to play fabric lady when other little girls were playing with Barbies, like I would play <laughs> fabric lady, and invite my friends over and pretend to be a designer. So I think I figured design would be like another creative profession I could go into that, you know, would hopefully be more lucrative and a little easier than becoming an artist. Um, but that I would still be able to immerse myself in art and, and be around it. And do you feel that gave you a bit, a bigger advantage, especially going out on your own later, you know, the years to follow, do you feel that working for an architect kind of changed your mindset? Has, how has that impacted Absolutely. your creative and design process now? Absolutely. I think I just, um, you know, I, I respect the, the people I work with so much. And I, I, again, I could never even pretend to be an architect or a builder or a contractor, but I think the fact that I have a good architectural eye makes me able to see eye to eye with architects and builders and contractors. And so I'm not viewing things, um, from a decoration standpoint, I, my interiors are very architectural. My interiors are kind of a, you know, continuation of the architecture. And it's important to me when I do work with collaborations to, you know, you to, to use an architectural eye to really think about the interiors and how they should become a natural progression of the architectural space. I love that. So this is where it can be very complicated from your side, you know, as a designer, how are you working? Everyone has a budget, as we mentioned, you know, we don't have mm -hmm. those wonderful clients from 20 years ago, 15 yeah. years ago, right before the, the big recession. But, you know, now with design, I'm sure in the beginning, you know, going back to the collaboration, you're working with the builder and you're working with an architect and you're putting together, every client has some budget. So when, when you're trying to match architecture and maybe you're bringing these amazing exterior details in or doing this a lot of trim work or ceiling details, how do you, get a good gauge, a budget? Do you work with the builder? Do you set those yourselves based on your understanding and history? So generally, uh, the, the builders will give me allowances based on their full budget. So the architect will have their budget to, to, you know, design the house and the builder will have their budget and they're giving those to the client separately and working with them as separate companies from me. Um, but then they will share with me and, and same thing with the renovation project. I mean, they'll share with me the allowances that they have to get to that budget number. So I'm not going and showing my client materials that are outside of the budget. And it gives me kind of a somewhere to start where I can say to the client, okay, this is what's what the allowance is for. Like if this isn't good enough and you want to see more exciting, now our budget's going to go up, you know, and I can, I can explain that to them that this is now 
your choice. You know, like the, you're the one now with the materials that are going to make it go up or down based on your decision. So to assist you, Lauren, if we were to work together, what, what would be best for a builder? You know, instead of me just coming to you and saying, here's $80,000 for trim carpentry. Okay. Well, you know, what does that mean for baseboard or crown or casing, yeah. you know, plus molding, whatever we're going to do in the house. How, how much do you prefer it to be broken down? Uh, you know, how much is the builder able to do that for you in your experience? I think every builder I've worked with is different. Um, in every respect. I mean, I think with some builders, you know, I'm doing less drawings with some builders, I'm doing more drawings. I think really, it's, I think everybody works very differently, but I would say the more that it can be broken down for me, the less time I'm taking of the client's time to really help put it together because I'm not, you know, I'm not looking in the wrong at the wrong resources. And does the builder ever set you up and say, okay, well maybe you have, um, 70 grand for trim carpentry let this is the trim carpenter I plan on using. Do you ever sit down with some of the vendors that they have to at least start working through that design and get a feel, you know, on the fly as you're working through design? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, um, some clients that where I collaborate, I'm helping them design all their cabinetry. I'm helping them, you know, totally custom. Some clients, you know, the, the, the architect and designer may have a cabinetry plan, but I'm picking out the style and the colors and the, you know, how it all works, but, but, and then some I'm doing full custom built-ins and cabinetry. And I think it's just, everybody's so different in the way they work. And I think what, what they want their scope to be and is part of their contract too. Um, and I think that that's really important too. Like when I am pricing a project, it's important for me to see, well, what's in the scope of the other professionals. So I know this is what is going to be in my scope. Right. And I can, I can make sure I have enough time for that. Built yeah, what, yeah, which is really good. I mean, that goes back to our managing expectations from the very beginning. Right. So, you know, yep. from just a relationship side, you know, with the builder, what is something that the builder or architect, the successful ones you've worked with that have been very, um, you know, positive experiences, what have they done? What separates a good architect or a good builder for you? Listening to the client and giving the client what the client wants. That's huge. And not having an ego and saying, whatever the client wants, this is my vision. This is, you know, we've designed the outside. This is what the inside is going to look like, or we've designed the inside. This is what the exterior is going to look like no matter what. Um, I, I think there's a lot of egos in our business, you know, in our industry and that can get in the way. And, and then the clients, I think it's very common that clients feel like they just weren't listened to, you know, it's like whose house is this, right? Not, it doesn't feel like mine. Um, and so like the professionals I've worked with that really stand out to me, truly listen to the clients and maybe maybe what the clients are saying is not their favorite idea but they figure out how to take that concept and make it a good idea and that's what i try to do like if a client brings something up to me that they love that i'm not so crazy about i'm at least going to try to figure out a way to capture what they want in a way that i think will be great right like i'd rather than just go my own way and do whatever i want um so I think truly, like I always say, like the really talented designers can design different styles and they can give the clients what they want. They're not doing the same look in every home. They're not creating the same thing for everybody. And the same thing goes for architects and builders. I think the ones that really listen to the clients and can be diverse enough aesthetically and logistically to really give the clients what they're asking for, I think those are truly the talented ones and the ones that come back to fix things and are there for the clients and 
and are nice to work with, right? And give a nice personal relationship. Because a lot of this is quality of life too. It's about the relationship and it's not just the work. You know, you want you want to love love your space, you want to love your home and you want to love the experience of getting there and, and afterwards, right? And 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 be, you know, have a good relationship with, with who you're working with. And I love that you shared that about the different styles of versatility. I want to come back to that, but real quick to the listening, it's interesting as you were saying that I was thinking back early in my career. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we had a client that they were working on this amazing project and we were some ways down the road in construction and I was there with one of my mentors. It was a learning lesson for him at the time and I happened to be there to watch. But the client was talking about, okay, now that that, the house is up, they're like, this window's not big enough. We want this huge window. And so they're going through explaining what they want. And uh, my my coworker, because this was before I started my firm at the time, he's like, he just kind of fighting the customer saying, you don't want to do this because it's going to cost this much. And the client said, listen, don't anticipate what I'm willing or not willing to spend right. to make this happen. Listen to maybe what I want. Maybe it's worth it, right? Maybe it's worth yeah, it. Yeah, maybe it's them. worth it. Yeah. And, and then it clicked and he's like, oh, that does make sense. So the, what they're trying to convey is, okay, we may want to open this window. What's the cause and effect? What's the complexity to do that? What's the timing? You know, I'm not worried about price. Just yeah. tell me, you know, what I'm up against. And right. I think that's really important. That that helped me gauge as I'm problem solving because as you mentioned, there's always problems and issues in construction and there's changes and late breaking changes. And what's really important that when those changes come, we don't fight the customer. We listen to what they want. And then we give them, here's option A, B, and C to execute that or cause and effect that'll come with it. Right. And it is funny to see clients, you know, when they're involved in the process, get excited about various aspects that they realize, you know, this is worth it for me because I'm spending a lot building this home. Like, this is something that's important to me that I'm, I do want to pay to do, you know, and so they should be given that opportunity, you know, to make that yeah, own, their I, own decision. And, and I love your point that it's, you know, the purpose of hiring a designer is their ability to not only listen to the client and execute and make variation. I mean, if it was that simple to just copy and paste, right, that's what Pinterest is for. That's a house. I mean, right. they can, they can do that. Yeah. I mean, the whole reason they're hiring you, Lauren, is that you have, you know, a wide, experience you know you have a breadth of knowledge where you can bring in different styles and aesthetics and creative ideas that haven't been done before right that's why you become published i mean you're Mm -hmm. you're trying to bring a a resource to them and say yeah i can do modern i can do transitional i mean is there a certain style that you like the most i know you do all of them i mean is there something that speaks to you more i love it all i mean i i moved from a vintage victorian super traditional house to an ultra modern, very minimal modern home. <laughs> so about it's a big change. Ago. So yes, a very big change. I sold all my furniture, started all over again. So I could live in, you know, many styles of homes. Um, I think probably everything I do is still transitional. I don't think I go blatantly modern. I don't think I go blatantly traditional. I think everything I do is pretty transitional. Um, I'm, you know, my big thing, like I just, I did a little video on my biggest tip, my best tip for people. And I would say, you know, in the world of Pinterest and and house and all these imagery pictures, everybody's bringing like 500 great ideas they want to incorporate into their home. And I think they need somebody to help them look at those and say, well, what works architecturally out of these 500 ideas? And we can't use all of them because it's too much of a good thing. It's like I equate it to reading a fashion magazine and you have the model that's decked out in jewelry and then you have the model who's wearing like one beautiful purse and like a plain black dress and your eye goes to the the one beautiful thing and so i help people pick their focal points um and really decide of these all these amazing wonderful ideas that you've 
captured like what really works and what we're going to selectively pick our focal points, you know, and where to splurge and, um, you know, what to do without doing too much because otherwise your eye has no idea where to go. To. <laughs> yeah. So how do you deal with the clients that, you know, you, you've, you've helped gather them in, you know, you have this amazing style, it's creative, it's transitional, it's going to fit. And then every night they're looking at images and they say, you know, Lauren, I, the more I think about it, I need this, I need this, I need this. And they come to you. And the reason I say that we have customers that, you know, I'll post something on Instagram and then get a call the next day, Brad, we need to do this in our house. And it's a total change, right? Than what we're doing. Yeah. You know, it's hard. It's hard. And then I also get like, sometimes like clients will be like overjoyed about a concept we come up with and then they'll say, Oh, my friend came over tonight. She thinks I should do this. You know, then another friend came yeah. over. She thinks I should do this. You know, and it's like, <laughs> everybody's going to have an opinion, right? Like everyone's going to tell you something different. So that can get, that can get tough. Um, but I try to keep people focused. And at the end of the day, I just, yeah, I always say like, besides being a designer, I just try to be the client's advocate. Like I try to help them through the process, like with renovating, it can be so daunting. So I try to like, you know, hold, hold hands with the client, help them through the process rather than just, just being the designer. I'm very much kind of like the client's advocate. I'm kind of like, I'm not project managing the subs installing the tile, but I'm project managing the client to make sure they're happy and you know, helping ever helping the team communicate with each other um, tends to you know fall into my role <laughs> to my role a lot. So I I try to um, you know be patient with people and kind of walk them through, and then also help them just with the order that things should be done and where they won't waste money, you know, later and have to redo things and you know to phase out projects correctly so they know what to do first and and what to save. So have you seen, have you had to make adaptations to your business? So, you know, as the clientele's changed, especially in the yeah. last 10 years and access to information, have you seen, you know, your business philosophy or communication change with that changing uh, influence? I just, again, you know, I'm trying to, I've, I've always focused on really listening to clients and what they want, but I'm just, I'm really trying to hyper-focus now on, you know, the way we need to live in our homes now is unique for every single family. Every family lives differently. Every family needs different needs. And with the unpredictable ability of the times, I mean, we don't know in a year if we're gonna be quarantined again and everybody's gonna be working at home and homeschooled at home. I mean, upstairs, three floors up, I have my husband who's an attorney working in his office. I have my son right now in his room doing you know, remote learning and I'm down in my home office. And we don't know if we're going to be here in a year, right? So I think it's really like, I think we have to think about that now when we're working with clients. It's not just about, I want to make your home beautiful. It's I need to make your home function and make it work for you. And and if this happens again, and we all find ourselves back at home again, um, after the world normalizes and then goes back, you know, no one knows. I mean, there's kind of this unpredictability now. And so we have to, you know, make it work in that respect too. So what's interesting now, as we close this, you know, when you're designing a home and let's just say it's a new custom home, what's yeah. your favorite room or aspect of the home that you love to design? Powder rooms. I love really? great powder rooms. Yes. I love like amazing wall coverings and power rooms. I love creating little jewel spaces in powder rooms, but that's hard. It's hard. I, there's a lot of spaces I really like, but powder rooms are just kind of little like gems, you know, that you can have fun with. It's fun that you said that because I, I've worked with a couple of designers that they definitely would agree with you. And what's fun is we have one project and the house is very 
traditional and then you go into the powder and it's like so modern. I mean, it doesn't yeah. even, it's not even consistent with the rest of us, but that's okay. It's meant to be that way. Cause there, you know, it's, it's not that it's whimsical. It's just, it's a fun element to the home. Yeah. My, my own powder broom, I have a Maya Romanoff little glass beads called bedazzled. The entire, all the walls are little glass beads within a charcoal gray color. And when I go into my little jewel box, I feel happy. Like it's my <laughs> happy place. And so I think like powder rooms can, can become your happy place. Oh, I love that. <laughs> That's awesome. So what's upcoming and exciting for you, Lauren? Um, just these new homes I'm building are great. Um, I love working with, with clients who have never worked with designers and teaching them the process now because they are, you know, prioritizing using a designer now for different reasons when they never used to. Um, I love working with my clients who have built 10 homes and just need me to back up their decisions and help them get through the process um, and kind of be their consultant. I, I, I love it all. Like I love, I wouldn't want to work with just one type of client. I, I really just, you know, I like working with people who have worked with more designers, less designers. I, I really like just getting to know. I mean, I think the, the reason why I do what I do is people and the psychology and really figuring out, you know, how can I change somebody's life through changing their home and, and make them love their space. That's fantastic. And where can our listeners find you? At uh, my website is www.laurencoburn.com. L-A-U-R-E-N-C-O-B-U-R-N. And all my info is there. And I will, I am starting to, to um, tape some videos. So I will have videos coming up on my website, <laughs> website well, shortly. Videos yeah. do really well. I can tell you, I've seen, you know, yes, videos. I, and... I, you're the best. So I'm learning from you. I watch your videos and I think, okay, I need to do that. I just I need more time to edit them instead of being so generic. But no, this, no, this has been amazing. It's very intimidating Lauren. for me, but I'm, yeah. I'm slowly getting more comfortable each time I do it. So. Yeah, it is for all of us. But no, there's a lot of value there. But you've been amazing, Lauren. Thank you so much for joining oh, us today. Thank you, Brad. Thank you for having me. <laughs> so thank you all for tuning into the podcast today. And just as a recap, if you check the show notes, they're just going to have all the links for the topics that we discuss. And also one of our favorite features now is the chapters that go through the conversation. So if there's certain topics you want to revisit or listen to, they're outlined by the time that we discuss those. And again, we can't thank you enough for all of your support. Please make sure and download our podcast, subscribe, give us a five-star rating and review wherever you download your podcast.